Hey, everybody. There's some language in this episode that may not be appropriate for all listeners. Breaking news. Welcome to a special edition of The War on Cars. We take you now to a church basement in Park Slope, Brooklyn, where a public meeting on bike lanes has erupted into violence. You're threatened to beat his ass? Because that's what it just sounds like. You're just threatened to beat his ass? You're just threatened to beat my ass? You are starting... Let's listen to what's going on in this meeting. How about nobody threatened? He just threatened to beat my ass! Welcome to the War on Cars. Yeah, for real, the War on it's, Cars. We're fully into combat now. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah, this is a new level. I, I, I was not expecting this. This is a special episode of the War on Cars. I am Aaron Napperstack here with my co-hosts, Sarah Goodyear and Doug Gordon, who survived, survived the legendary meeting of the Ninth Street bike lane. Uh, now legendary. And not everybody has heard about this meeting, perhaps, but many have. Yeah, so, so Doug, maybe you could explain what happened in that church basement and what was happening in that clip we heard. Sarah, it's, it's really hard to talk about. <laughs> oh, my God. We should even just back it up a step okay. more and explain that on Wednesday, September 25th, a couple days ago, we recorded an episode on public meetings and... You know, how activists and advocates and people who are trying to make change in their cities should approach public meetings. And then hours after that recording session, uh, our our co-host here, Doug, attended a public meeting that went rather off the rails. Oh, it went completely. I've been to upwards of 12,000 of these meetings in the last 10 years of doing advocacy, and not one of them has even come anywhere close to being as nutty, as just off the rails crazy as this one. So let's just try to explain in a very bare bones, objective way, like what this meeting was about, why it was happening, who was there. I'll try to give the really quick Yeah, quick and dirty. Great. So 9th Street, Brooklyn, really wide street, has a long history of problems. There have been children killed on that street dating back to at least 2004. Most recently in 2018, there was a horrible crash that killed two very young children, injured their mother who was pregnant and then lost the baby. It was terrible, awful. And the, and the driver in that case ended up committing suicide. Right. right. It was a tragic case all around. After years of urging the city to fix this street before more people died, more people died. And so I organized a rally in March of 2018 in front of the Park Slope YMCA. There were a series of public meetings in response, and the street finally was redesigned to have protected bicycle lanes on both sides of the street. Why did you organize a rally in front of the Park Slope YMCA, of all places, uh, <laughs> for, well, our, for our international right, listeners? For, for people who don't know, uh, <laughs> the Park Slope YMCA is a daily destination of our mayor, Bill de Blasio. And I had decided, rather than follow the normal practice of advocacy, where people issue press releases and give statements to the press, we would just take the fight to de Blasio's door and urge for change that way. And it got a lot of press attention and it worked. So the city came in and pretty quickly built these protected bike lanes along a pretty significant chunk of 9th Street. I, I got to jump in. It was pretty quick, but it was six months. And that's yeah, quick, quick by New that's quick by any days. city standards. And there were public meetings to present the designs. So this wasn't like a middle of the night. We're just going to do this. I mean, not to mention the fact that the uh, precipitating incident for this particular installation was covered by every major news outlet. So there was plenty of attention given to this. So that's the setup. Why this meeting? Why now? Well, okay. So there have been, not surprisingly, a group of people who live on or near 9th Street who have been upset with the changes. And 
I think a few months ago, they actually held a meeting uh, in a different church basement and very few people showed up. In fact, some advocates showed up and kind of just like shut it down basically. And this time around, they decided to hold another one and they put up flyers because there's always a flyer as there was in the last episode that um, introduced the specter of what if ambulances and fire trucks couldn't get to your house as it was burning down because of the bike lanes on 9th Street come to discuss. And, and that got a lot of attention and brought people out to this meeting. I think that we should post, along with the show notes, pictures of 9th Street. 9th Street is an incredibly wide street, even after these bike lanes have gone in. The idea that a fire truck couldn't go down it is really kind of strange and yeah. ridiculous. But yeah. anyway. People have been fighting over 9th Street for like 12 years. I mean, I mean the first it... advocacy I did was actually just trying to get painted bike lanes on 9th Street. And many of the same people who showed up to oppose those bike lanes... We're at this more recent meeting, too. I mean, I recognize some of the faces. Yeah. So, yeah. so this meeting happened, and I decided to go to it, uh, as did a lot of other people. And I don't actually think people were expecting it to be quite as big, because the last meeting they had had on this had been a total dud. Um, but I showed up to this meeting right when it started at about 6.30, and there were news cameras there from a couple major local networks. There were other reporters there from radio and print and online. And the room was packed. I mean, by I think when it started, there were well over 70 or 80 people there. It might have gone up to 100 by the time it really started. It, it was pretty big. From my understanding, this thing started pretty much as these things do with someone getting up and introducing the issue and making a, the beginning of a presentation. But it sounds like things got very weird very <laughs> quickly, Doug. Since you were in the room, maybe you could explain. Right. So the meeting was introduced by this woman, Myra Manning, who lives, I believe, on 9th Street, and uh, gave a quick, like you said, summary of where we were at and what had happened. And then she uh, gave the floor over to this man, John Halpern, who I had never seen before, and introduced him as a documentarian, I believe a climate activist. I, I know she introduced him as a climate activist, uh, someone who had done all of these kind of really cool radical activist projects in the 70s, 80s, and 90s. I think he scaled uh, one of the Brooklyn uh, to Manhattan bridges, I'm not sure which, uh, to protest something, like a real sort of like radical lefty artist guy. But he's, he was, al he's also a meditation instructor. Uh, yeah. He's a very chill guy. Yeah, and so he got up... Uh, and she said that he was going to show a film. And so before that happened, he got up to introduce himself and give a sort of preamble to this film. All right. So let's listen to that. This is John Halpern introducing the meeting on Ninth Street. The people uh, of transportation alternatives are not as alternative as they want to present themselves. Their funding comes from the likes of billionaire Steve Ross, a crony of Jeff Epstein, and an elite group of backers. Okay. Okay, yeah. Wait, 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 wait. Stop. Stop. <laughs> so because did people get... Should we just repeat that to make sure people got yeah, that? Yeah, he said that, that, that Transportation Alternatives, the big pedestrian and bike advocacy organization in New York City, is not as alternative as they'd like people to believe, and they're funded by a billionaire crony of Jeffrey Epstein, the infamous pedophile... I, so, Which, by the way, was, first of all, just fact-checked. Like, Steve Ross of Related, the big real estate company, right. does not fund transportation. No, he does not. But, if, you know, if he wants to, I'm sure that, you know, that would be fantastic, perhaps. <laughs> but <laughs> but uh, he does not. Uh, okay, so this is just a level of 
bizarre conspiracy. How did people react? People were pissed. I mean, I think somebody yelled out and, and other people did like, you know, just people started laughing. Oh, well, here. Uh, play, it was, play it was really okay, let's roll, the, roll let's the tape. Roll the tape. The 1% are using. <laughs> <laughs> you want to clown around with me? You want to clown around with me? Sit down. No, let's get to the issue. Oh, You're accusing people of. Didn't he get up on a soapbox? He gets, up, he gets up on a chair, on a folding chair, <laughs> yeah. and is yelling and pointing his finger. You want to clown around with me? And you can hear someone else saying, "You know, you're accusing uh, people of being associated with." I think that he continued to say a pedophile. Um, and then there's all this crosstalk, and like that set the tone for the meeting. <laughs> was that was it? That's your that's your introductory remarks for the meeting. It was so it was, was uh, really odd. So here's the thing, like what is weird to me about this is that this Ninth Street bike lane has somehow turned into something that that gets sucked into the general miasma of conspiracy theories and like nasty innuendo right. and it's, like, it's what, the what, like, pizza gate of uh, right. it's, like comet, it's, really, it's like yeah. comet it ping was, pong it was so strange we've noticed this before though right like we've had these bike lane fights like the famous one in brooklyn was the prospect park west bike lane fight and i remember when that one was happening you would hear people basically pulling um talking points that essentially Republicans were using to fight the Obama health care legislation, which was very much in the news at that time. There's like, you know, they would say like Republicans would say, you're not going to shove Obamacare down our throats. And then you would hear like the next day at a community meeting, you're not going to shove this bike lane down our throats. It's like this stuff that's in the atmosphere somehow finds its way into these, <laughs> into a church, into basement. A church basement. It's very strange. So this guy Halpern showed his film at the meeting, right? Uh, yeah. And Sarah's whole thing about this idea of like this conspiratorial feeling that's out there was really kind of the premise for this film. Well, so what was it about? Like, what did he show? He starts this film and the title card comes up. It's called Betrayal on 14th Street, uh -huh. a New York story. Now, I was really confused because here we are talking about 9th Street. We're at a church on 10th Street. <laughs> on 8th Avenue in Brooklyn. And I'm wondering, 14, what, what is 14th Street? Where? What does this going have to on do? On 14th like, Street. So it wasn't about 14th Street in Brooklyn. It was about 14th Street in Manhattan. Which, if you're not from New York, is really just a world away. Yeah, I mean, for where we were, it's a solid half hour on the train. And basically, it showed what he was theorizing was a conspiracy by the city of New York to, as Aaron said, jam a bus lane down the community's throat. The movie was so strange. I, I'm almost at a loss for words. He very cynically used footage from the die-in that we had talked about on a previous episode and showed footage of family members and friends holding the names of some of the 15 cyclists who had died by that point. And at that point, I, I who was there as a somewhat dispassionate observer, kind of lost it in my brain. I'm like, that is offensive to put these yeah, people's names in there. Like, get their names out of your frickin' film. It was gross. Like, I'm still so, it was so fucked up. It was so fucked up. So, Thank okay, it. so three thumbs down for, for John Halpern's film. Oh, okay. okay. Rotten, no, Rotten, no, two of us haven't seen it. Rotten Tomatoes, <laughs> Rotten zero tomatoes, percent. Ten yeah. percent. Yeah. Then... The film ends, and what happens? Because you, like you say, you got kind of yeah. Let's get to the part where this. Doug gets yeah. beat up. <laughs> okay, everybody's pissed off at this point because this meeting started at six thirty, and we are now going on seven o'clock on a weeknight, and you're wasting a half hour of it talking about 
14 Street. Okay, I, okay. Anyway. So John shows his film, and then Myra Manning, who's uh, functioning as the moderator of this community meeting, she steps up and sort of gets the meeting started. I'm nice. One of the problems with this is that there was no survey, there was no feasibility study done. Basically, Myra is introducing the set of issues, but she's doing it in a very biased way. She's saying, like, DOT came in. Biased? She's lying. She's saying there was no studies done. I mean, come on. Yeah, she said said there was no, I think, feasibility study, no surveys, no notification. The best part is how she says they put in these two different bike lanes. Yes, one of them is going in one direction (laughs) and the other one is going in the other direction on a two-way street. And again, this is a street that's been like studied for like 12 years. And look, it's also, it connects to Prospect Park, a natural destination for people to go on bicycles. So like, this was not an illogical place to put a bike lane, especially, as we said, given the very violent history of the street. Okay, so people start responding to Myra's very biased, um, quote-unquote, moderating of this meeting. This isn't an introduction, it's an argument. Literally not a thing that you just said is correct. Right. Okay, that's, 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 that's me. Do we get a 15-minute video? <laughs> I mean, we were quiet for all that nonsense. You're threatened to beat his ass? Because that's what it just sounds like. You're just threatened to beat his ass? Yeah, wait, 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 wait. Who threatened to, who threatened to beat whose ass? So there was at some point some guy standing there, jeans and a t-shirt, a little bigger than me, and I was standing close to him, and he said something to the effect of, like, we're going we, we're gonna to take this outside. Like, But right. you, Doug, you weren't intimidated by that am i right you uh, is this the something part? something uh, something snapped okay <laughs> that was me starting to come in right there wait 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 so, yeah, so okay like, it, Doug, what happened? You Is this the part where you get up to the front of the room? Okay, so so I'm going to roll it back just a little bit. So a few of us sitting there watching this looked at each other and all said, we got two choices here. We should all walk out. That would be one, one option. Or we should all get up there and we should just take over the meeting because it wasn't being run by anybody. And uh, look, not surprisingly, it's not easy to ask people to just stand up. And I just kind of lost it and I got up there. And what I had planned to say was basically like, well, if you've got a 10-minute movie that you want to show, I got a 10-minute something that I want to show. And I stood up there and and was waving a piece of paper because I had brought with me the names of the people who had died on 9th Street and had planned to read them. And I started to do that. A bunch of people just kind of got in my face. One of these kind of burly dudes told me to sit down and said, this is not your meeting. This is not your meeting. And I just kind of said, like, I just want to talk, you know, and you can kind of hear me repeating the same thing over and over again. And then at some point, John Halpern, the filmmaker, shoves me and you can hear one man standing up saying, that's assault. Someone arrest okay, this man yeah, for let's assault. Play, let's play it. So, yeah. so yeah, Doug, here's the part where Doug gets shoved and it goes, it really goes nuts at this point. Yeah.
who cares? So someone yelled out, who cares? Yeah. And then other people were yelling, who cares? Their parents care. We'll post the video, but what I was saying was I, I read the names of these kids, some as young as one year old, and also a 41-year-old man as yeah. well who had been killed on 9th Street. And Victor and Juan, they were like, that was the first yeah. thing I ever got interested in with bike app. Yeah, these are two two little boys, 10 and 11 years old, were killed on 9th Street. Four or five. Yeah. When a turning truck driver ran them over. They were These kids lived on 9th Street, and they were yep. like half a block from home. And what I said, which is not clear in the video, is where are your flyers when those things happen? Where are your flyers talking about the dead children who have been killed? And I think I went on to talk about, you know, the unborn baby. Well, and then they were very clear in their response. Who cares? Who cares? Who cares? Right. Who right. cares? And, who one, cares? and there was one gentleman who I remember very clearly standing up in the middle who stood up as incensed as anybody I've ever seen and just pointed a finger at somebody and said, who cares? Their parents. And uh, that it was just so clear that the empathy gap was just so separate from the people who were pro-status quo and the people who were saying, we are here to discuss a safer street. And so at that point, um, I walked off, basically. Um, yeah, we can let it play out. Or Doug. If it wasn't quite clear, that was the point at which I walked off. I actually saw the video. Somebody posted it on Twitter shortly after it happened, and I was just playing it over and over again, standing in the middle of this, you know, sidewalk, and just thinking, like, "Oh my God, go, like, Doug, yes, yes." Like, I, I was so happy and proud of you for standing up in that situation. But then I also just get super emotional and sad that we hold life so cheap. You hear people talk about, oh, children and unborn children and born children and whatever. And, you know, but the reality is who cares is really the philosophy of the United States of America when it comes to people's lives. Who cares? How much money can we make off of it? How much, who does it inconvenience? It makes me so angry, I can barely stand it. I mean, and that was part of why I brought that list with me to the meeting because you go to these meetings and you hear all these stories about people who are almost hit by bicycles or even people who are, but who live to tell the tale. And I'm always so angry when we go to these meetings and nobody actually sits there and talks about, maybe your DOT talks about KSIs, you know, people who have been killed or seriously injured, but it's this dry statistical stuff. Nobody actually says, these are the people who actually got killed here and this is why we are here. And something about the tone of this meeting and the conspiratorial notions of Jeff Epstein funding groups and all this stuff, it was so offensive to me to these babies, to these parents who have to live with that loss for their entire lives, that some asshole is saying there's a conspiracy of the DOT to take away parking spaces. You know, fuck you. Like, we'll put a disclaimer at the top of this episode. <laughs> but um, I was so enraged. And, well, I, just, I, I, and I just felt like, I, I, you know, it's funny. I, I didn't go into the meeting thinking that I was going to do that. Um, I did have the list and I was going to politely read it. But at that point, I was just like, fuck it. Let's go. And and one of the really interesting ironies of this entire thing is that literally eight hours before yeah. this meeting took place, 
we were sitting in this very recording studio talking about public meetings. And, you know, Doug had gone to a meeting in a neighborhood in Brooklyn called Fort Greene and brought back some tape and we talked about it. And one of the things we were talking about was sort of like the need to be diplomatic. The- you know, Aaron, I, uh, I remember it as if it's our last episode. Look, this, this is a time to use diplomacy in the war on cars, right? Like, it, it, you know, you need to read the room and you need to have compassion for the people in the room and you need to actually enter into this kind of discussion in good faith and just walking in and saying, get rid of your cars is, it's stupid. I believe uh, that the diplomatic core can play a role and I think this is a place where the diplomatic core maybe should be deployed rather than the armed forces. What happened <laughs> in the eight hours between our, like, you know, uh, pushing for people to be diplomatic and connecting with their community? And, okay, like, really, first of all, maybe you know, empathizing at, with people at right, these community right. meetings and then like a full almost brawl. No, I think the difference is at the point at which you go to a meeting and they're talking about pedophiles and Jeff Epstein and a conspiracy. Um, and then it's just, I, I think. I just rose or descended to the level that was there in the room that night. And I was just, and I also think, look, to be very honest, this is my backyard. I led the protest in front of the YMCA and confronted Mayor de Blasio directly like a day after two children had been killed. And the thought that these bike lanes could somehow be ripped out and people were collecting this information to go talk to their elected officials and all that stuff, that influenced my thinking. And because it was so off the rails, I I jumped in like that. So, I mean, I I had this notion. So this group on 9th Street, they're they're really pretty marginal. I mean, they're clearly able to uh, muster like 20 people in a room and they can get some press and some cameras in the room too. But they have no real political support right now in the city. And one of my feelings at this meeting was like, you know, what if an anti-bike lane meeting happened in a sweltering church basement and no one showed up to put it on social media. I, no one showed up. Agree. No one agree. showed up to fight with them. No one showed up to turn it into a big story. And they just, you know, twenty people just sat in a in a church basement and talked about how much they hate bike lanes. But that would be great if it was just those twenty people. But nearly every elected official sent a representative from his or her office. Yeah, but they kind of have to. But like, but they don't. And and the, and they said they're going to have meetings. They said they had already had meetings with some elected officials. And and the irony is that what it takes to get a bike lane or a pedestrian plaza or a curb extension even is a dead person and lots of political organizing. What it takes to rip those things out are the secret meetings. The meetings that advocates are never privy to, the guy who can call the mayor because they used to like drive to work together. I don't know, like who they used to be neighbors, the people who um, vote in large numbers, baby boomers. Those are the people who get the secret meetings that they're saying we do. It's this this huge act of projection. That's my fear in these settings if you don't send someone. I did feel like one really solid thing that came out of this, this kind of confrontation on the one hand, I felt like it gave these guys too much attention. Like they're really so marginal. But this confrontation that took place at the meeting really helped just highlight how marginal they are. Like the fact that like this video was shot and it was posted on social media and other media picked it up and you got to see them talking about like Jeffrey Epstein and all this other conspiratorial stuff. 
I, I think it, that's really valuable, actually, that people really got to see, like, 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 why should any city government official listen to these people? They're not operating on a kind of, like, sane, rational, good faith basis. Yeah, and I think, actually, that there is, a, you know, that, that what Doug did in his Old Testament prophet kind of way <laughs> is to, you know, to bear witness and to, and to not allow these, these lies and, and, you know, to, to go unchallenged. And, and that was really, really important. And it is important to say the names of these people who die in the dozens and hundreds, because we do listen to these loud marginal folks who try to stop improvements because it inconveniences them a tiny bit. You know, I we, think it's we sometimes elect them as president. Even. <laughs> oh, gosh. Well, I mean, right. it, it's it's not for nothing that there really was that sort of like Breitbart, Fox News, Trump conspiracy theory stuff going on. And like the actual human beings, you know, whether it's babies in cages at our border or babies being killed on our streets were are just lost in these people's minds because there's some larger conspiracy going right, on. Right, because it's QAnon. I mean, I it's just bizarre. I'm very interested in this question of like when to use the diplomacy that we urged in the last episode versus when to use the armed forces that we seem to be urging in this episode. Like how do you know which approach is correct? Well, I think it, there's a lot of answers to that question. One is you have, if you're there, you have to read the room, right? So in the Fort Greene example from our last episode, the room was pretty quiet and respectful. In this version, it wasn't. And so you can match the tone of that meeting. And I will say that the really weird thing that happened in this meeting is that almost immediately after I took the floor like that and interrupted and read the names of these kids and these people who had died and had people shouting in my face and got shoved, it then forced a more respectful meeting. It actually turned at that point. They got a new moderator who was not unbiased by any stretch, but they then started to follow a little more like, we're going to raise hands and we're going to call on people. And then what ended up playing out is that the, a, a lot of very uh, dispassionate, very intelligent safe streets advocates and local people from the community who supported the changes were allowed the opportunity to say, here are the statistics. Here's what happens when you put in a bicycle lane. It gets safer for all users, including drivers. So in this case, I guess it worked. So, I mean, a thing that I really liked about this meeting, I, I did like that these folks were confronted so viscerally with how wrong they were. Bankrupt. You know, that, Completely that, how bankrupt. bankrupt yes. How like their Jeffrey Epstein stuff was nonsense. Their fact-free arguments were fact-free. You know, like, you're not just going to be allowed to say that stuff. And I, I do feel like we have these like urgent crises that are, you know, interrelated underway, uh, you know, in New York City and all over the place. In New York City, it's like we have all these fatalities happening on our streets. We have a transportation system that's being crushed by automobile dominance, a transit system that's collapsing. We have climate change on our doorstep or a city that's like right on the ocean. And they're just like this meeting felt like people in a certain way were approaching the issues with the urgency that they actually deserve. You know, that it was definitely strident. It was unpleasant. It was awkward. I felt uncomfortable watching the people fighting on the video. And I, I honestly, I felt a little embarrassed for Doug. I was like, oh, God, you know, this is like terrible. People you were, are yelling. You were inside my head. And being at, shoved. At, you immediately know? after this but happened. Like this, absolutely. But there, there, this is 
we're in an emergency. Like we need to be, we need to be moving quickly on this stuff. And I think these kinds of people who are opposing bike lanes, who are preventing cities from doing the development that they need, who are bolstering fossil fuel industry and sprawl and automobile industries, these people need to be defeated, just fucking defeated outright. Like in the political arena, hopefully not like with pushing and shoving and violence and shooting. And I, I want to be very clear. I did not push back. You and didn't nobody push else who was on our side got physical in any way. I want to be very clear about that. But I think this is like the posture now. It's like we need to politically defeat these guys and really like put them away. I and, also think we need to send a message to the elected officials who do show up or do see the news coverage of this stuff that you have to stop listening to these people because they are out stop. of arguments. Why are you sending people right. to their meeting? Yeah. Why are you sending? Why why is the city DOT sending people to this meeting? Well, and that was it's, the nutso thing about this. So the the city sent their borough commissioner for Brooklyn, a very nice man, very smart man, um, who works really hard to make our streets safe. And he sat there just very patiently watching. And at almost no point did uh, anybody say to him, "Hey, hey, buddy, you've got the stats." You can tell these people that the streets are safer now and, and what the injury statistics are. He was asked at one point, but by that point, it was like two hours into the meeting. Um, I don't know if it would have done any good had he spoken up earlier, because like we said, with sort of like the healthcare Trump Breitbart analogy, these people don't want to hear stats that conflict with their priors. They just don't. Yeah, I mean, they're not making reality-based arguments. They're not making evidence-based arguments and they're not living in a reality-based world. And I do think that to a certain extent, it would be great to be able to ignore them. Unfortunately, we don't yet have leadership in this city or in many other cities or certainly in this country that is willing to engage in a reality-based conversation about what needs to happen in order to preserve uh, some semblance of civilization. So, you know, I, I mean, I think we have to fight for it. And I think as much as I advocate diplomacy and I do think it's, you know, these things have to work together. Um, and I think you use diplomacy and you use force and not physical force, obviously, but you do have to fight hard and be tough and stand up for the right thing when these destructive lies are put out there, you have to stand up and stand for what's right. All right, folks, that's it. That's enough. Uh, use diplomacy if you can. Try not to let things get too kinetic. Thanks for listening to The War on Cars. Remember to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts from. That helps people find us. You can write us, email us, send us audio clips at thewaroncars at gmail.com. As always, we want to thank our top sponsors, including Charlie G of Human Powered Law in Portland, Oregon, the Law Office of Vicaro and White in New York City, Huck and Elizabeth Finney, Lee H. Herman Jr. and Timothy Buck. If you want to support us, go to thewaroncars.org, click donate, and you can contribute on Patreon. Hopefully we won't have to use that money for my emergency room visits, but yeah. we'll, we'll see. But def definitely your therapy bills and perhaps maybe some Xanax. Or We also want to thank the journalists who provided us with the video from which a lot of that audio came, including 
uh, Jake Offenhart at Gothamist. We also want to thank Brian Howold, who's an activist here in New York City. This episode was recorded by Marcus Dembinski at Brooklyn Podcasting Studios and edited by Matt Cutler. Our theme music is by Nathaniel Goodyear. Our logo is by Danny Finkel of Crucial D Designs. I'm Sarah Goodyear. I'm Doug Gordon. I'm Aaron Naperstack, and this is really the war on cars. It's getting physical out there. Thank you.